Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers from FasterSkier.com. We are psyched to present this second interview with international cross-country ski stars from Park City, Utah that I recorded last month. This time it's Swedish Olympic medalist Maya Dahlqvist and her partner Kevin Bolger, a sprint specialist from the U.S. Devin, as you might be aware, is in Norway, so he was left out of this interview, but next you'll hear a little extra intro that we taped after he got a chance to listen to the recording. Full disclosure, I kind of talked some you-know-what about Devin's skills as an interviewer as I was getting set up with Kevin and Maya, and then I accidentally sent the unedited file to Devin. So that's what he's referencing when he gives me a hard time at the top of our intro. Just in case you forgot, the World Cup season starts in 37 days. We will be ready. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by the Utah Olympic Legacy Foundation and Soldier Hollow. Soldier Hollow is nestled in the Wasatch Mountains, and it's in the middle of some major upgrades to the Nordic Center that should be ready this winter. Make it a destination for your next ski camp or vacation, or buy tickets to the upcoming Biathlon World Cup races that are scheduled there in March. Should be an awesome party. More information at utaholympiclegacy.org. I think you should leave it in because it's nothing that people don't know. And I love the best part is when you're throwing me under the bus with that. Be like, he's a disaster. He's garbage. Like, he doesn't know. Like, he just talks forever. He doesn't shut up. And like Kevin's like, you first you 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 started the whole thing with like asking Kevin's like I like this is for like the podcast like I don't know if you listen to it's like yeah I've heard it a bit and then you threw me under the bus for like a good thirty seconds and I like I love Kevin's reaction where he's just like deadpanning is like yeah no for sure like like confirmation of everything you said because it's true you know the truth hurts I'm a I'm I'm not a journalist I've said that enough times but. Um, yeah, I definitely talk too much in the hate mail that we have about that. Uh, definitely attest to it, but I say we leave it in. Yeah, no, you're, you, it's it's a unique talent. Um, so okay, well we'll leave that in, and then uh, you know this is your opportunity to uh, contextualize uh, what we're about to listen to, and just include any rebuttal here. Yeah, well, I, well we're gonna listen to my Dahlquist, who is part of the Swedish Armada, which, I, which also comes up in the interview, which is great. You asked a couple of questions about that, which was awesome because the, we've talked about this for years and years, like the Swedish women's team, you compared them to the nineties bulls in the NBA. And I think that's an apt, I think that's an apt comparison. I mean, they are, they're no question like the dominant, the dominant force on the women's side and sprinting. And it just seems there is an ever expanding number of, of Swedish women that while they're, they've been around now for a few years, but it just, you know, right, right when you thought it's like, oh, yeah, okay, it's like Ribbon, it's uh, Sundling, it's Dahlqvist. And then you got like Hogstrom coming in. But before all these people, you had like Hanna Falk. It has like a rich history of having great sprinters in Sweden. And I thought it was cool that you covered that. And so it's really fascinating to get a perspective from, from Maya and especially like what's her perspective on North America and, and just hearing, yeah, just hearing like there's a bit of hardness in her, I feel like. I mean, like, especially when she's like giving Kevin the gears a little later in the interview about his nutritional habits and, and a few things like that. I thought it was, I thought it was pretty funny and you definitely were able to crack through the, the European, 
the European shell and and, and see some of her personality. Yeah, no, for sure. So I thought it was a, it was a it was a pretty fun interview to hear to hear the two perspectives. And I think, like I talked a little bit, maybe this was off air or anything or texting. Who knows? It's all a blur. Um, but with Kevin, I think Kevin's in a really interesting spot now, and I think he also recognizes that himself. Like he's made a coaching change, which you'll hear about in the interview. Um, he's not on the U.S. ski team. That's a big change. And, you know, he's based in the Midwest, but at the same time, he's a kind of a citizen of the world, <laughs> spending time in Norway, spending time in Sweden, and, and then now they're in the U.S. And so it's not easy to, to train as much as you need to be training. And then also, I'm not going to say he's like discombobulated, but like you're, you're bouncing around a lot. And I, I don't know, he's 30 years old. Doesn't sound like he has like a true, true base, or I guess if, his, if he does, it's like with Maya in, in Borlanga or like in Falun. And now Sorry. his visa's revoked. So yeah. Yeah. And now there's that too. So that, which you can expand a little more as we chat here, but so I, I think it's, it was an interesting perspective and interesting conversation with a guy that showed a lot of promise. Like I, Kevin showed a lot of promise on the sprint side of things. And even last year he had some, he had some solid racing, you know, getting into semifinals and stuff, but but he hasn't really been able to capitalize more. He hasn't able, he hasn't been able to stabilize these results. And if you're kind of a one trick pony with like sprinting on the U S team, you gotta be, you gotta be good. You gotta be stable. Good to, to keep your spot. And he missed it and said it. I thought it was cool to hear him say right out. Like his big goal is to, is to get back on the U S ski team and uh, the races in Minneapolis. I think that's pretty fun hearing him. You'll hear him talk about like, Minneapolis people are psyched with Minneapolis in the U.S. Like God, it's been too long since there's been a World Cup in the U.S. It's embarrassing. So it's it's great. It's coming back, and it's only four hours from Kev where Kevin grew up. So I think I think uh, I think the listeners will all they'll enjoy this one. It's a, a little more like I said. I was so surprised with the Claybo interview that I mean, like this one's like a more subdued. This is more kind of like what I was expecting. But what did, what do you think sitting down with them and chatting in in the sun of Park City? Yeah, I mean, I think like they're both pretty serious like you you look at social media and everyone's in the sun having a good time i mean you know doc my dogfist in in particular like you know she's she's not fucking around on the podcast and in life like she's on a program and she's she's doing it um and you know i actually i don't know i think it's interesting sort of to juxtapose them with with Claybo and just kind of hear from athletes who are in such different places, like in their careers and in literal geographic location, if not like in this moment, they're all in the same place. But um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Kevin Bolger, like w- we've heard a lot on the podcast sort of from folks who have had late career success from folks who are chasing, you know, early career potential and promise i don't think we've heard that much from someone positioned like kevin who's kind of now in this bubble place uh and and you know you could really see his career going in two different directions like one you know he can't turn it around this year with his new coach and and his new setup and you know it's it's hard to persist on the international circuit if you don't have that support network and i think you know it really sounded to me like he's doing the things that he needs to do to 
kind of make a change and just mix things up. And sometimes I think, you know, we just talked about Holland, like sometimes that stuff works really well for athletes in the middle of their career, like to, to get kind of shaken up and to have to try something different. Um, and I, you know, I think there's some real sort of dramatic tension there in a way that is just like different from what we've heard. And so I, you know, I thought it just was interesting to hear from Kevin, like, as his own guy, like, I feel like we've heard a lot from Kevin in the past couple of years as like boyfriend of Maya Dahlqvist. And, um, you know, it was interesting to just sort of hear a little bit more from him. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think Dahlqvist, like between her level of professionalism and her experience sort of working with media in Scandinavia, I think she knows a little bit better than to say, a lot of revealing and interesting stuff. I mean, I think she said some stuff that was like fun and interesting, but you could also tell like she's, she is a little more guarded and, and just sort of pro in, in the way that she sort of is approaching things. And um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it, it definitely, it's just sort of a fun, interesting thing to be able to hear from these two different folks. Uh, it was nice to be able to just pop on over to, their place in, in park city where they were staying, like, you know, 15 minutes from Clybo. I stopped at a Starbucks, had like a delicious coffee beverage on, on rude. And, uh, yeah. Uh, also props to my dog for just, you know, driving the bus on the easy over distance workout. Well, I guess it wasn't over distance, but you know, 90 minute easy ski with, with Johannes and, uh, Kevin, she's definitely, you know, put putting the work in so yeah she's tough as nails so i think i think that's a like i think i agree with you with what you're saying with with kevin that it, it, they are kind of like an he's at an inflection point for sure i mean it's gonna go one of two ways and and the cool thing is is in you you asked this also in the interview that the listeners can hear uh soon enough here but with uh not having a championship this year i mean that that's that's interesting like for a for a north american maybe you, know, you got to travel you got to be in europe anyway so it, of course it's different but it's interesting when you ask like are people more laid back when it's uh uh not a championship year and both kind of agree that like yeah that that, that is kind of that is kind of the feeling and singing back into my career because uh, it was long enough that there was quite a few seasons that didn't have championships and it's like man like didn't really like feel that it was that much more chill and i think it was cool to hear Dahlquist said it's like yeah it's more relaxed in some ways because we put so much pressure on these big championships but on the other side like in Sweden it's so hard to get spots and get starts and then if you want if your goal is something like an overall globe in any discipline then it's that much more pressure because you you want to you need to be at the start line of all these races and it's like it, 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 there's a lot of layers on every single racing season in this season that doesn't have a championship has the tour de ski will be that much bigger there'll be more athletes at the world cups each world cup they'll be prioritizing the whole thing instead of just like picking and choosing which is more exciting for fans um and then also too with the with the stops in north america i mean that's for the north american ski fan like that's that's super fun so i i don't know i thought it was a cool interview it's uh you do a great job nat it's uh like i said in the last one you should keep me out of this more often uh but it was really great that you were able to get down there and 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 talk to some cool folks and and get some interesting perspectives. And I'm cheering cheering Kevin on hard. It's uh, it's not easy being on the outside looking in, but um, hopefully as a cool head, Kevin's got a he's got a definitely like it's a it's an inflection point of his of his career. He's 30. 
doesn't have a whole lot of time. And, and um, that said, I hope he's not thinking about that too much. And instead, just thinking about the process and enjoying his time and having fun. Like, I mean, you know, it's uh, in some ways, it's it's sort of a dire circumstance for him. In other ways, you know, you're still training in the 75 degree weather with Johannes Klebo and your girlfriend and, you know, tough life. Um, well, uh, we'll we'll kick it over to uh, this interview. And, you know, I mean, Devin, I would just say I think we have very complementary uh, skill sets, you know, like I've got uh, I, I get paid the big bucks to listen and and you know your i think your talents are uh, with without peers in the ski world uh when it comes to waxing poetic and you know that's we just got to lean into that totally i love it i love it well thanks a lot nat great work and we'll keep getting a few interviews there'll be some ghetto ones too because i mean they can't we can't listeners can't start being spoiled of like proper journalistic giving the subjects enough time to actually answer thoughtful questions. Like, come on, that's not what we do here. We interrupt. We have weird, like kind of dead air space because we're trying to do it on zoom. Most of the time people are trying to talk over one another, but then there's a delay because of zoom. I mean, like that's what people want to hear. So don't get too used to these uh, polished and professional interviews. Cause I'm sure as the season gets going here in earnest, they'll be back to regular scheduled programming. <laughs> But uh, thanks for listening and uh, enjoy this one. We'll just like kind of do the normal podcast thing, except I will say without, I don't know if you guys listen at all, but sometimes, like, yeah, for sure. Sometimes. He's so bad at ask, like he can't do the interview format with him is like terrible because he just talks so much. <laughs> yeah. And like that is his talent. And it's like why I think the podcast is normally good. But yeah. like when there are other people on it, it's like kryptonite. So. I'll just like throw some questions at you and cool. I'll do like an introduction and if, if you guys are, if that yeah. works for you guys. Yeah, that's easy enough. So, okay, uh, I'm here with Kevin Bolger, my adolphist, um, probably the world's most famous international skiing couple. I think that's, <laughs> do you think that's right? Um, ah, I guess so. I don't know why, but probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but maybe you guys could each just quickly introduce, maybe, maybe Kevin, you can introduce Maya and Maya, you can introduce Kevin a little bit. Oh, yeah. you start. Uh, yeah, Maya Dahlqvist, 29, from Borlänge, Sweden. Uh, two crystal globes, three Olympic medals, uh, two silver, one bronze, two world championship gold medals, um, one individual and two team, I think. Loves to drink coffee, uh, loves to bust my balls, tough to train with, but super awesome. Mm, sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Kevin Bolger, 30 years old. Pretty old actually, um, from Wisconsin, and mostly lives with me in Sweden right now though. Um, yeah, I don't really know what what's your biggest ski results is. Yeah, it's a, some, it's a tough ac accolade to a follow. Final. <laughs> You've been in a World Cup final, at least I know that. Yeah. And you're been winning American championships, or yeah, yeah, and yeah, just um, there's a few more. But yeah, we I don't really know. Talk about them. We don't really talk about skiing. Do you do you think? Uh, 
Kevin Bolger is more famous in Sweden than Maya Dahlqvist is in the United States? Uh, yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, in Sweden it's a pretty big deal with cross-country skiing and you're like, every other day I think you're in the news for Swedish cross-country skiing, so... I don't know. Yeah. Maybe like, but also it's like we, 10 million in Sweden and here's like, I don't even know how many people, so... Yeah. I would say she's probably more popular here, but uh, uh-huh. we were up in Sun Valley this last weekend and some parent's daughter um, said that Maya was equivalent to a Taylor Swift. So, yeah, I mean... That's, that's a, pretty big. I yeah, that was pretty big. But, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I can be the equivalent... Okay. To like Hunter S. Thompson in the ski journalism world. Do you guys know who Hunter S. Thompson is? Oh. I don't think so. He's like, um, he was like really big in like the 70s, uh, and, and his, his style of journalism was called gonzo journalism. So he would like, you know, do drugs with people and like write these like really, cr- and he was, you know, icon, actually lived in like Aspen. Um, okay. So that's that's pretty much my style. Um, so you guys are here in Park City together. Um, what are you what are you guys up to here, and why and why are you here? Um, now, first of all, I think like for me, I wanted to do more altitude this year. Uh, and two, the second thing is that Kevin lives like in Europe for most of the time of the year as much as he can. <laughs> Uh, so then I feel like I need to do at least a month in the US because he's in Europe the rest of the year. Uh, so then it just worked out pretty well. Like I was allowed to skip a camp with my team to to go to Livigno with them, also altitude. But because it's an altitude year for me, it's not that I can go whenever. So I need to skip a camp and this just worked real well to go here instead this time. So that's yeah, the biggest reason, I guess. Trying to go here to the US sometime every year. Would you guys say, does it feel like altitude is becoming more important for the World Cup circuit? Or maybe just people are feeling like trying new things? I mean, I feel like Clavo has been so like public about, you know, he has much more of a focus on altitude than the rest of the Norwegian team and maybe people are kind of noticing that it's working for him pretty well. We were actually talking about that today yeah. after a session and I just think it's like in Sweden I feel like it comes and it goes like some at one period some years it's like really popular and then it's like going down a little bit people want to be home more and like train sea level but it was actually like yesterday when Liz said she wished she won she was well should have trained more in sea level yeah then yeah. i was like oh mm. there is actually people who's like always staying in altitude like the switch like i hmm. never really think about that you were talking with liz steven who used to be on yeah. the oh, yeah. ski team yeah. as your host yeah. here yep yep so that's but yeah and i think like you, especially you up and down. especially this year when there's no world championships no olympics like it's like a clean slate for a lot of skiers they can do whatever they want they can try something new they can race a lot during those, the World Cup season. They cannot race. like So I think at this year, especially, I think you see a lot more teams like playing with altitude. Um, that's what I thought, at least today, when yeah, we were I talking about it after our training session. I feel like yeah. it's comes and goes. But, yeah. If you like it or not. 
True, true. And I also, like I stayed with Diedrich Tonset this summer for a little while. Um, and he was pretty, uh, like, pretty uh, honest that he was like, yeah, altitude's fine, but I don't enjoy it that much. So, like, and it's like, it's just fun to, like, see what other people think and how they feel about it. And, like, so it's a, that's a cool topic to talk to with other skiers about, I think. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what are your guys' respective goals for this coming year without an Olympics and without a world championships? Yeah, for me, it's Minneapolis. That would be like my equivalent to like a big target event this year. And I mean, that's, I think that goes for any American skier hoping to race the World Cup this year. Um, just, and especially because it's more or less in my backyard. It's four hours from where I grew up in Wisconsin. And I've raced at Worth Park plenty of times growing up at just events and junior national stuff. And so that would be, uh, that would be a big one, but also um, to race fast enough to get back on the national team next year um, is also a big goal of mine. So uh, those are probably my two big focuses. Yeah. And I think it's really fun, actually, that it's a year without the world champs or Olympics. Like, I just feel like we in Sweden or my team is really prioritizing the world champs so much that we like need to take away races during the way to have the best shape when we really want it. And this year is just to race a lot and like go for the overall more. And um, for me, the overall Sprint World Cup would be big to take it three years in a row. But I don't know. I think I also will see in the beginning of the season how the distance races is going and then work from there. Does everybody just feel more relaxed this year because there isn't this big championship event? I think so. But it's hard to say until yeah, you get on to the World Cup. both, because it's also like, for us, like in Sweden, it's hard to just get a start spot. And this year when everyone want to race everything, it will be really tight for the spots. So yeah. that's not so relaxed for people in that way. But I think it's both. I think the World Cup overall will be a big deal this year. I think you'll see more people racing more weekends. Yeah. Yeah. Which will be cool. Yeah. 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 Um, you guys seemed like you both had some highs and lows last year. And I'm curious, you know, can you each tell me like about your high point and low point of last season? Mm. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I, I think I struggled a lot with sickness last year, just mm -hmm. bad, poorly timing sickness where you get sick, but I think it's a unique situation in the U S skiing that like you, you shouldn't race when you're sick, but if you want to make the next period of World Cup, you kind of need to toe the line of like, should I race, should I not? So I think I found myself like being a, maybe not quite healthy enough a lot of the time that's and bad. still pushing it, which is awful. And I, I yeah. hate that that's, that's what it is. Um, so that was a lot of poorly and even like in breaks, like over Christmas, I got sick and it's just stuff like that. That sucked. But then, uh, I finally had like a breakthrough in the Vino and had just like everything clicked and I felt so awesome. <laughs> um, and then leaving that, I, I came, came out of that, like getting 12th with a lot of motivation, tried to mimic the same thing. I'm like, I'm going to skip drumming. World Cup comes to fall in afterwards. I'm going to have an awesome buildup of training into the following sprint. <laughs> and then I got sick and it was like, fuck, um, <laughs> this sucks. Uh, so 
but just I don't know, just like I'm able to like hang on to that twelfth a little bit, and like realizing that like there is some speed there, there is some top top perform. Like yeah, it's still there, and I just need to figure out a way to stay healthy and like be able to maximize it in this next season. So I'm gonna try to maybe do the opposite of what we were just talking about, sort of racing everything. <laughs> pick and choose different World Cup events if I'm able to and try to look at good target training periods in the winter and focus on different World Cups. Um, do you have to race your way onto the World Cup this year or do you, will you have some starts from the beginning? I already have. I have period one starts. Okay. Um, so I objectively qualified for those um, from last year. So that's that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. What about for you, Maya, your high and low point of last year? Yeah, it was actually kind of fun when I was like, after this season, I was like, oh, it wasn't as good as last year when I won like four World Cups in a row. I got one Olympic silver medal, individual and team medals. That was, that, that was pretty good. Yeah, it was a good yeah. season. I had like six <laughs> podiums and four victories. And like this year, I was like, oh, I don't know. It didn't feel like it was as good. But in the end, I had six podiums, the same as the last year. I won the sprint overall. I had an individual medal at World Champs, but... I think I just missed one victory, like during the way. I won the overall, but I didn't win one single sprint race. Really? Yeah. So huh. I think that was like my. That's why I felt first that I was like, oh, this season wasn't as good. But now when I think about it, it was a pretty good season. But I also I haven't raced that much ever in a season. I feel like because the last years, it's been like COVID. So. We skipped some races and like I had more, I've never been racing a World Cup season with that many races, I think, for sprint at least. So there is more, more chances to do good, but also more chances to not do good. So, yeah. What about your high? Yeah, my high was overall, yeah. I think, yeah. And the World Champs sprint medal, individual. That was my first individual medal in World Champs. So I think I think your high was your finishes in Valmastar and the Tour de Ski. <laughs> Just like I remember watching those with Finn O'Connell in in our hotel room, and Maya was like not even in the screen, like fourth or fifth. I was like, oh, no semifinal today. Like, dang. And then like to second, and then like same thing all the way to the final. And I was like, yeah, I had shit. good finish that day. <laughs> It, I feel like there were a few races last year where it was like yeah. you would be completely out of the picture and then yeah. it would be like you were just, you know, a, there. Adult, yeah. a World Cup skier skiing with juniors or something. Like. There's something happened when I see the finish line, even how tired I am. I just can always sprint for some reason. Yeah. That was but, yeah, awesome. but you still don't look quite like Jesse Diggins when you cross the finish line as far as like, you know, collapsing. In a, I think I could if I wanted to, though. Like, I think we all are the same tired when we finish the line. So I yeah. don't think anyone work harder than anyone else. So I could if I want to, but I, I'm not. So, Kevin, I'm curious. I mean, you just referenced the fact that you're not on the team, U.S. ski team this coming year. Um how does that like change like the resources you have and like your program? Like, are you still working with the same sort of coaches? Do you have to find a wax tech? Like, how's that all going to work for you? Yeah. Uh, like first off, like pretty much like once I got sick during that following world cup, I knew because the criteria is pretty straightforward with the team that I, 
unless I hit one out of the park, like in Lati or in Tallinn, I think it was, like I wasn't going to qualify for the team. So I like, that was a pill I just swallowed and started to digest and like not even think about and just try to race. And, um, and then yeah, it turned out I was right. Didn't make the team. But like also, I mean, since you said it, like, I mean, I imagine psychologically like that is a really hard thing to try to like absorb and digest during the middle of the season to kind of know looking forward that like your life is going to be harder or more expensive. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Really. But a little bit. I think it's like there's positives and negatives to both of it. Like, yeah, it is nice to be able to just know, you know, and like, you know, when Matt called me to like tell me that, it was kind of one of those things like, dude, I've digested this. I've thought about this. I appreciate how like sympathetic you are. Yeah. Um, but like, it's just the way the world works. Yeah. Um, I didn't race fast enough, and that's just the way it goes. There's no one else to blame but myself. Um, but like, pretty quick in April, I got started to think like what I needed to do differently and what the season was going to look like for me. And so I decided to get a new coach this year um, uh, out of Norway. His name's Einar Moxness. He worked with Diedrich Tonseth in his year. He was off the national team. Um, and he works closely with um, Tron Neistat and Oyvind Sumbach. So he's got some... And he's exercise two, two physiologist. Time, and two, like, yeah. Those are two long-time Norwegian coaches. Yeah. So he's got like really good philosophies and it was great because he called like, I first actually talked with Niklas Deerhug about the, doing it. The Norwegian like World Cup winner, retired now. Yeah. Legit guy. Um, we've trained a lot together in the past and um, I thought it could be fun, but he pointed me in the direction of Einar and we got on the phone and he just straight up asked me, he's like, what are you looking for in a coach? And I was like, honestly, I don't need someone to hold my hand. I need someone who can, you know, confirm my training we can have discussions we can touch base two three times a week if we need to or just once a week but like someone who i know is there and we have a good structured plan and i'm yeah and he was like yeah i think i have that for you this is my philosophy gave it to me and i was like this is going to be perfect so um started working with him and so far i think it's been really really good um i've been super psyched and then come i'd say july August-ish, I decided to switch to Team Berkey um, and leave Sun Valley. Um, Just in the sense of when I... I'm a lot in Sweden. um, And then when I am in the U.S., I'm in Wisconsin. I'm at home. um, And I need to maximize resources I have in the Midwest. And that's where I'm from. And so I'm super psyched to be back there. And the resources that Team Berkey is providing is like... It's insane. Um, And we have Team Doctor, um, Physio, Massage... Uh, pretty much everything that I lost with the national team, I now have with Team Berkey. Um, but, of course, I'm still looking for more, I guess, financial support. Like Maya you, you you can't do it all for me. You, you, could, <laughs> you, could, uh, you could use, like, a $10,000 headgear sponsor for sure. Yeah, exactly. Of course. I mean, I, I, mean, I think any skier in the U.S. could, whether you're on the national team or not. But What's, what's the going rate for a like, ballpark for a World Cup headgear sponsor for... Kevin Bollinger, another likely situated person. You don't have to, you know, say anything that's like confidential, but just like if for people out there who are listening, I have, I actually have no idea. Like I, I've been searching for one for so long, <laughs> and like, I would say most people are would say anywhere from like seven to ten thousand would mm-hmm. be awesome. But it's like, how do you convince someone to give you that kind of money when maybe you're 
an average World Cup skier. You make a compelling pitch on the Devin yeah. Kershaw show to our 16 listeners. I yeah, think. yeah, exactly. I don't. I mean, it's an interesting question because you know I've talked the the financial stuff like underpins so much of cross country skiing and like people. I think it's one of those things in life where like just people don't really talk about that. But I think you know it is you know particularly when you're not support. Like, do you have to hire a wax like pay for a wax tech this year, or will Team Berkey do that for you? It sounds like you know I'll be working with Chris Hecker this year on the truck. Different from who I've been working with for the last six years. Yeah. Which is kind of a bummer because he knows my skis so well. Yeah. But that's life. Um, but I'm not sure how it works. Um, but like for sure you're going to pay. I'll have someone waxing my skis. And for sure you're going to have, you know, like whatever you're doing in Europe, like that's the U.S. ski team's not like you're going to have ex- significant expenses for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But it's also nice like now that I kind of have a foothold in a home base. Yeah. In Sweden, like, oh, you know, I'll meet the team late in Ruka. Yep. Do my sprint and just bail. Yep. So try to just minimize my expenses I have on the ground with the team. Yeah. Because uh, like those nightly hotels and the food, like that just skyrockets. So like if I can blaze off to Falun and not have to travel so much, yeah, I can be home. Yeah. I can be saving money. Yeah. I can be training better probably, eating better. Yeah. You can so just live there's like a lot a of positives actually to it. In case you didn't know, I live in Alaska, but I did these interviews in Soldier Hollow, Utah, which I was only able to do thanks to the generous support of those who have already participated in our voluntary subscription program at Faster Skier. If you enjoyed this interview and want more similar content like it from this winter, say from the Minneapolis or Canmore World Cups, we urge you to subscribe. You can do so at fasterskier.com support. Thank you. So, and not to ignore the, um, you know, Olympic medalists here at the table, but like, I am a little curious about when you think about sort of going to a new coach and thinking about like what you need to do to come back to a level that would put you back on the team or just achieve your goals. Like, do you, do you, did you, did you have a sense by the end of last season of like, there's some specific things like I want to work on and this is what I'm going to focus on with the new coach or is it more just like, you know, people get to be 30, which is like fairly deep into a career as a professional athlete. And it's just like, you need some kind of change and it's not necessarily like you need to change the specific thing, but like you just kind of need a new kind of stimulus and that's what you get. And that's what you're looking for. Yeah. I think that's perfect. Like just like in, in anything you're doing, I think very, like you need to have change. You need to have variation. And that's, I think I just needed it. Um, new stimulus, new focus, new, New thoughts, new ideas, fresh eyes. Um, and it's like, I could have went to uh, someone in Sweden. Like I was thinking of people like, it didn't have to be Norway. It like, I wasn't searching out Norway because Norway is Norway. It's like, I just, I don't know, it just fell into my lap and it worked in a, just a fresh set of eyes and changed a little bit my training, like philosophy and like approach to how I'm doing things. Like, um, but I think just, yeah, just a new stimulus and yeah it was sweet it's good <laughs> and so Maya maybe like I, you can excuse my ignorance about the Scandinavian ski culture and system but I mean can you talk a little bit about like I assume you train you have a home club and then you're also part of the Swedish national team you haven't sounds like you haven't, haven't bailed on the Swedish national team like uh, our friend Johannes Kleibo around, around the corner <laughs> Um, or what? <laughs> but, 
like how I do. You like oh. what's your setup like? Uh, but I we have like <coughs> I'm a part of Fun and Bowling, yeah, like the club. But that's just really. I just really race for them when I race in Sweden. That's kind of it. They're not giving you a team doctor and a physiotherapist? Uh, and... No, not really. We have that from the team. Uh, but then we have something, it's like called Dala Sports Academy. Because in Sweden it's like either Fallen or Östersund you kind of live in if you're a skier. And those two places, they're like big training groups. From the beginning, like from kind of the school. But in Fallen it's good because you don't need to study. So... Um, like everyone kind of who lives in Fallen, I think it's 25 or 30 people in that training group. Not everyone, but because you need to apply for it and have your spot. But that's like the training group I train with the most and that's where my coach is. And we have one, sometimes two sessions a day at home and you can sign up for them and you take the parts you want. And you don't need to do it all. You can, yeah. Take the parts you want, but what's really good in Fallen is that everyone wants to be on those sessions. Like, we have a, like, maybe not the best roller ski track in the world or something, but we have the, we have a big, good group of skiers. Who, Are there other people from the national team? Yeah, it's like, level? I feel like it's half of the men's national yeah. team, like the whole team Bauhaus. Like, it's like six guys, and then Kalle Halvarsson, Anton Persson. Then from the A team is Johanna and I, and some girls from the Dave Love team, so... Uh, Johanna Hockstrom? Yeah. Okay, and who's also a really talented sprinter. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So there is, when like for me, who is a girl, I always have the guys to chase, so like, oh, yeah. it's a high-level group. Do you do that a fair amount, ski with the, with the men? Yeah, and that group is like pretty much everything together anyway, so it's just that they sometimes go a little faster than us, but... It's uh, it's really good, and you can always like have easier roller skis. You can ski together, or yeah. But it's good at least for me, and I think that's um, where my base really is. And then of course I'm with the national team for team camps, but that's like once a month ish. Yeah. So it's like Falun is your crew, and then you go we'll yeah. meet with the the heavy hitters yeah exactly so it's it's really good like especially this year when i'm back in the team i feel like we're a really strong group of girls because we had like 11 out of 14 medals from world champs so we realized that we were like okay we we do have the best group in the world so let's do something really good when we're on camps yeah i want to ask about that because i i think you know it's like you guys are the nineteen nine the, the Swedish women right now are the nineteen nineties Chicago Bulls uh, of <laughs> of uh, cross country skiing. It's like uh, as you said, there's there's you, there's Johanna Hogstrom, there's uh, Jonas Sundling, world champion. There's uh, Emma Rebum, uh, who's team sprint world champion. There's uh, my um, Frida Frida Carlson and <laughs> also uh, Eva Anderson and um, Noah is in the team. The other sprinter, Lin Svan. Yeah, Lin. Um, so that's like, I, I, the thing that I'm most curious about is like, there are now probably like six or seven like Swedish uh, women sprinters. You, they, you guys only get four or five spots uh, in, a, in a sprint, in a championship event. There's also only one A team for the team sprint. And like, 
I imagine there is a balance between like you guys are working together and you're all from the same nation and on the same team and at the same time you're also like competing with each other for the same spots and the same medals and how does that work? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a balance. I mean, of course, we're like uh, you can't be only competitive, competitive, comp- competitive. Yeah, when you're like on training camps and things, because it's like it wouldn't be fun. Like you have to have a good balance. So I feel like we're really good of like use what use each other for a good thing and realize that if I if I give this, I will have something back. Like. I don't think we would be as good if it wasn't that type of group. Um, and then of course it sucks when you're like, like for me last year I wasn't uh, uh, picked for the team sprint in the world champs and I've been like... Would you like automatic gold medal basically? Yeah, I'm like winning all of the team sprint I've ever been doing, like 10, 10 in the world cup I feel like, but it's like I was third in the individual sprint so I get it, like they take the one and second because there's no other way to do it. Um, but it's like tough, but also it's like tough, but it's good. So does the team or like like the coaches or the, the women on the team, like, do you guys do certain stuff like to, to kind of manage the, those like kind of competitive elements? Like do, are, is, are the, is the coaching staff pretty like aware of that and like they're working really hard to try to make sure that it doesn't like get into like sort of a toxic situation or Mm. are you guys all kind of professional enough that that just happens automatically i think we're actually kind of professional in that and like in the in the sprint for the world cup we were like okay we have six girls here and everyone can win so on the way to the final we're working as a team like we select heat so we can have as many sweets as possible in the final and do team tactic on the way there. But in the final, you want to win, like you want to beat the others. So, and that's fair and like everyone knows that and that's how we want it to be. So I don't want anyone to like not do their best for let someone else, you know? So yeah, I think it's team tactic as far as it goes to individual. Yeah. Okay. So it, so this this was the really like heavy stuff. Now because this is a this is a you know a podcast that is ultimately about cross country skiing and it's not like the most. I mean, not not to say that cross country skiing is not a serious endeavor, but it's not like it's not life or death here. I want to talk about sort of the like social dynamic of things and like you know you guys are kind of like a tabloid subject in in Scandinavia these days and I I actually want to talk because it's like I think there's some interesting like you know sort of social and international developments on the World Cup and (laughs) I thought a good way I remember I wrote a story about you guys at the Olympics and I remember I asked Kevin how you guys started dating and that was a good story and I don't remember exactly if everyone heard it and I I want Kevin to tell it again (laughs) Uh, hopefully I told the same story but we (laughs) We uh, we matched on Tinder in Ruka. Uh, this was like COVID year. Um, matched there. Sweden bailed on the World Cup until Christmas. Uh, no, until, yeah, Tour to Ski, so after Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had like talked a little bit over our phones. Um, text, Snapchat, 
but then it wasn't until a tour to ski until we actually met at in Valmustar after the qualifier skied up to her that was our first time talking we were because it was COVID it was like sneaking around a little bit for a while um, and then breaking the bubbles yeah breaking bubbles <laughs> and then that yeah literally breaking the bubble at world championships and that's when everything blew up yeah. oh yeah because you guys got busted for like making out behind bleachers or something no yeah, literally I mean, in the can't... middle of the stadium yeah I mean <laughs> I'm like oh no because you weren't like really as an American, you don't you don't like there is no media yeah. unless you're Jesse. Like you have zero media anywhere in the world. Yeah. So I'm like, it's something I don't even think about. And then for Maya, it's like total opposite. Yeah, um, fucking quarantine. Someone's like filming her 24 seven. I ski up to her and kiss her. It's like, boom, world's over. Yeah, does. I I I mean, could like. How can you, like, as a, someone who is a fairly high-profile person in Sweden, you could act like it was actually a reasonable thing for you to go on, like, a dating app to meet Kevin? Uh, he's the only one I replied to, actually. <laughs> I'm really serious. So I wouldn't say I used Tinder that much. Yeah. No. How, does, how well would you say it has worked for you guys to, like, be dating and be from and competing with, like, two different countries? Like really good. I feel like, like everyone is like, how how is he? Like he's with the Americans, and you're with the Swedes. But honestly, like in my team, the people who have their girlfriend or boyfriend at home, it's way harder for them because we we're away for so long and we get to travel with each other. So it was only during COVID when it was two bubbles. It was pretty hard. Yeah. But now it's. But it's sweet too. I feel like there's been more soft collaboration between like the americans and the swedes the men are starting to get like to know the swedish men more yeah one maya's, big team now yeah like <laughs> maya's been getting like she was in bend with us last year um so like there's a little bit more like friendship i guess on the world Cup, which i think is super cool because it's like you get on the world cup and people are so they're just like robots <laughs> and fair enough it's like it's race day it's pre-race like you're focused but it's like there's got to be fun aspect to it. And now that we have like more collaboration with them and people know more of each other, it's like, it's more fun. Like you can like link up and do stuff with each other. I don't know. So I think it's been really cool that yeah. way. Um, and I'm not trying to take credit for it, but <laughs> it's cool that it's kind of started like after mine. Yeah, I but started I feel dating. like we only, like at least me before, we, I was only with the Swede, with Swedes, like with my team always. Yeah. We yeah. never talked to anyone else because it was like, we talk Swedish and that's it. <laughs> And they have every American, hey, hey, how are you? How's yeah. your day going? Everyone Tell me about your life. Everyone just the Americans. I was like, if I can speak my language to everyone, they would love our team as well. <laughs> like, so, well, and now, like, Kevin, you're, are you, you're kind of based, with the exception of right now, like, you're kind of basing yourself in Sweden a good chunk of the time. Do you, do you train with Maya's group sometimes too? Yeah, so this year I also, like, going back to, like, resource stuff, like, I joined the Dallas Sports Academy, which is okay. I fall in. Um, so they have those weekly training sessions that we can sign up for if we want to do and it works out with training. Um, but I'd say 90% of what we do is pretty much together. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. It's like, Kevin, what are you going to do today? Or what are you doing tomorrow? Or what are your intervals? And I'll tell her. And she's like, yeah, I think I could do that too. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
but, think uh, about myself as well. Yeah, yeah. But we, yeah, we do a fair amount of training together. And especially like here, we're doing mostly, tra- I mean, just because I know the train so well and like where to go, yeah. we do a lot, of stuff to, a lot of stuff together. Cool. Yeah, which is fun. One thing, so I have like, a, I think I have a couple more questions. Um, one is, um, I was going to ask, if each of you could tell me one thing, like Kevin, that you've learned sort of from the Swedish system being in Sweden and being around Maya and Maya, I'm curious if you've learned anything from like Kevin and the American system about like training and racing. Mm. It's kind of a tough one to put you guys on the spot. Yeah. I mean, I like for me, I feel like I've not like not from the Swedish system, but I guess it would be because it's from Maya and that's where she's grown up. But like, yeah. Um, or maybe it's not even just like the system. It's just like what you do that's helped me a lot Like with my skiing is... And, and the team, and the national team here is getting better at it too. But like when we first started dating and we were together, like I changed my nutrition quite a lot. <laughs> and like as simple as that is. But then also... Um, what else? I don't know. That might be like the biggest thing for me, really, actually. Yeah, well, tell me but more. you also ate like an American. Yeah, tell me more about that. Well, how did it change? Well, like Swedes, I feel like if they don't have their, I think the most important thing is Kvell's Fika, night snack. If they don't have a snack before bed, the world is over. Yeah, I feel like if we're in a camp or on the race weekend and there's not like lunch and then like snack like three o'clock snack and then dinner at six and then night snack at nine then it would be like what's going on why like this is like our team would be pissed (laughs) if we didn't have that and then like with you i feel like you were like oh oh that's a cookie over there take that one oh there's some rice and chicken there maybe i take that and it's like you're like either like it was 10 hours between your meals or it was two minutes between your meal it was just you took what you saw, like didn't really think about anything and why, like the timing at all, yeah. I think. Structure and, and yeah. even like fueling between uh, like qualifier and heats. Yeah, like on the sprint, you were terrible. Yeah, awful. I mean, I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of us are still not that great at it. Wait, so I'm, I'm, I want to hear more about <coughs> that too. So that's like, you know, you would not be eating a snack between them? Well, I would be, but like... You don't know, you know like, like how many when Maya's like Maya's like you when you eat. finish your qualifier, you drink this shake, carbs, protein, like immediately. Like you don't even have time to breathe. You put this down, yeah. and then afterwards you have. I would steal uh, <laughs> Risa fruit It's like rice pudding from them, and like you eat two of these, and then like you got to have this in your drink belt with this carbs and this amount of like blah blah blah. Yeah. So like, I was like, holy shit, like. Usually I would slam a cliff bar or two. Like this is gonna and I think it's it's helped a lot. And even before the qualifier, like, okay, you need to drink this full with your drink belt, you need to finish this with all the carbs, you need to blah 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 blah. So it's like even though we're racing twelve minutes if you're going to the final, it's still a two to three hour day on skis outside. Yeah. So So I was like, Wow, like I'm lacking in this. East Coast has much energy in like as a thirty K. Yeah. So it's like have you passed that on to other guys on? Well, it was funny because, like, I would start doing it, and then, like, like Gus or JC or, like, so, you know, some of those guys would be like, oh, like, Kevin's got to have his night snack. Or, <laughs> like, I'd like, oh, Maya does this, so now Kevin has to do it. And then, like, so I was, like, 
not like getting made fun of, but you know, like, oh, because of Maya, Kevin does this. But now I think it's like getting more, and as the national team in the U.S., like, is putting more focus on nutrition, I think. You see more skiers doing it, but... Uh, I think I would have been like, fuck you, like, until you start winning as many podiums yeah, as I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. quit talking shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, and even even on the World Cup, I think... Sorry, JC, and, and that's like not me to offend, but yeah. But like, I think we could still be doing better over there, and it's so... Wait, what, what's, what's a typical night snack? It could be... Yogurt, granola. Yeah, like a breakfast. Like an open face sandwich with like some turkey and cheese. And we're not talking about just ice cream or candy. No, I, I wish. It's, um, I do plenty of that though. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Yeah, so far. But yeah, it's sort of it's, Swedish style seems to be like a little more with like I mean you're definitely sort of planned, but it's not just like a big meal in the morning and a big meal at dinner. It's yeah. kind of like you've got a lot yeah, of things like, going on yeah, during yeah. the day. Yeah, maybe don't always need to have that big big dinner or lunch it's more to have like spread it out during the day so you all never like dip yeah mm. but i don't know that's what i learned <laughs> but like training philosophy like training stuff like i mean even even when i was spending my summers in norway training like that's some people like oh like what are they doing differently it's like nothing <laughs> like realistically nothing like we're all doing the same thing um we all have the same ideas with threshold and level four and like there's so much that's the same so but maybe literally a little think... more like uh, control now or like you have more like checks with like lactate with your heart yeah. rate with your like tests or yeah but that that stems from like this the new co- Einar I'm working with like more check-in uh, maybe. like maybe we call it like American. insurance policies mm. do a lactate test just to see how things are going and make sure everything's yeah. okay and like yeah but in, I don't know. I don't think no. like, Swedish philosophy is like so different, really. Yeah, yeah. It's not, not like because you know, like you're saying, like the dream team for the Swedes. It's not like they're doing 50 speeds every session <laughs> to be the best sprinters in the world or anything no, like that. I like, think yes. we all train kind of similar, at least on paper. Then how yeah. you do it is maybe different. Have you picked anything up from hanging out with the Americans? Uh, what not to do? What <laughs> not to do? No, I don't know. I Obviously, like... she's picked up a lot because if you look back two years, <laughs> in those we've been together for two years, and in those two years, she's picked up two Crystal Globes, three Olympic yeah, medals. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't really know. I feel like we're training. Like, everything is kind of similar. It's not rocket science anywhere. Um, but when I think it was cool when I was joining your camp and it was more way more talk about like team goal like team goal for the day team goal for the week and like those things just talked about that I think that was pretty cool like to get to know what everyone else goal of the camp was and then like super easy to help each other from that way it just that was pretty cool yeah yeah and I feel like just from what Maya says too, like maybe we're a little bit more willing to shift training plans for each other, you know, like versus maybe some of the girls are stricter and like, I'm not going to train, change my interval to Tuesday because you're doing it. I have to do it Wednesday. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say we have like that really either. If we know why, like, I think just all of like in our team right now, if we need 
Like we just need a why. Why we do things. If not, I'm like, why should I do this if I don't have a reason, like or a purpose with it. Yeah. Um. So, I know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Would uh, does it? Would you say at this point the sort of center of gravity of your guys' lives is pretty well shifting toward Sweden? Like, if you guys end up together after. Ski racing is over. Have you is is it clear where that No, be? it's not really clear. But as long as we're skiing, it's it's better in Sweden, I would say. It makes then more sense. In, yeah, then we're in Sweden, and it's like especially during the season, it's like I haven't ne- never <laughs> realized how like it's big difference from the US team from like our team. They leave in November and come home in the end of March. And we're like, oh, I really miss home. We've been away for two weeks. And Kevin's like, shut up. We've been away for two years now, but like six months. So I think that's just, just that thing is like, okay, Sweden is better right now. And then we'll see. Yeah. Do you like the US? Yeah, I do. I <laughs> It's like a TV show, everything. So I I do like it here, but I have hard right now to see myself like really living here but I'm not like I also think I can do it so do you, is it um in I mean I was we were talking with Johannes Klago this morning about like you know in Norway he can't go anywhere without getting stopped or recognized and, mm-hmm. and then he comes here and it's like he's anonymous is that I mean how much is that a problem for you in Sweden these days? Uh, I think both. It's Johannes Klöbe we're talking about. So just because of that, I think you have a little more. And it's also Norway we're talking about. And no- yeah. If you're a skier in Norway, you're a rock star. If you're a skier in Sweden, it's like, it's popular. And like for media, but it's not as it is in Norway. I mean, they're still shooting photos of you secretly in, from the stadium, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> but... Um, but it's yeah. not. It's, it's not that it's hard for me to be home because I'm too famous. Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> but there is. I mean, is is it fair to say that it can be nice to like just dip out and? I. But to... I think it's nice now actually, or it's both. But because of the time change, like I'm so like living in the moment the whole time because my phone is no, nothing happened from like two o'clock, and like the rest of the day it's. Like everyone's sleeping, I can't talk with anyone else than the people I'm around. So that's kind of nice. It's kind of hard too, because <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm missing things like um, that I maybe should do or have to do. But except from from that, that's kind of nice in yeah. that way to be here. Johanna said the same thing. He said like everyone, you know, goes to bed yeah. at like two o'clock yeah. and then. Yeah, you, know. you can just live in the moment, Yeah, which is nice. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's a good. That's a good theme to end on. Uh, my Dalquist, uh, Kevin Bolcher. Thank you for joining the Devin Kershaw show. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That was fun. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.